Good morning. How are you today? There's sunshine. Yeah. All right. My name is Dave Sherwood. I'm the lead pastor here at Cornerstone. Welcome you to our festivities today. Uh, The way we're going to do things is I'm going to go through some announcements, and then I'll pray, and then we'll spend some time in kind of God's Word, looking at some scriptures related to our series, One Another. So the first announcement that I've got is, what you'll see up there is it says, Best Neighbors Ever. That is one of our core values. You'll see those things out in the hallway out towards the children's wing. It's one of our values. Uh, But in regards to being best uh, neighbors ever, we want to get really good at being great at neighboring here in Perry County. So one of the things that we're doing is if you go out to that pallet wall you saw when you came in those glass doors is you see this little card that says share the love. And what there is is there's a bunch of different things that we're collecting and that's going to basically a domestic violence shelter. And so some people that are coming out of domestic violence who need some things as they're trying to kind of step out of the universe that they were in into a new universe. There's some things that they could use in order to help them, and so we want to be great neighbors. You can grab one of these on the way out, grab all that stuff, pack it all up, bring it to us, and then we'll make sure that it gets to the people that need it. The other thing is, we're starting a new Connect group the end of February, and the Connect group is designed specifically around how can we be great neighbors to people here in Perry County. And so that Connect group is going to explore how can we be really good at doing this, And so if you want to find out more information about that Connect group or any other Connect groups, you can grab one of these again out at that pallet wall. Connect groups are basically the next step. And so if you're coming here regularly on Sunday mornings, the step after that is to step into a Connect group, which is a smaller breakdown. We can't do everything that the Christian life has for us, kind of in this big crowd. So we break into some smaller chunks and we get together and we do life together. Sound good? All right. You guys are awake, right? I'm not going to have to make you do calisthenics. Go Catholic on you, make you stand up, kneel, cross, all that good stuff. Okay. So um, what we've got is we've got a series called One Another. And we've gone through the series, One Another, and we've hit a whole bunch of different things. Encourage one another and edify one another and build up one another. Uh, This one today might be uh, a little tough to chew on. And so I'm just going to go ahead and say that ahead of time. It says in the word, to confess your sins one to another. So we're going to talk about that here in just a second. Let me pray for us as we kind of explore what God means by that and why he would put that into play. Let me pray. Father God, we come before you. And some people in this room, Father, have been on a long vacation from you, and they're coming home. Would you embrace them? Father, some people in this room don't believe any of this stuff. They're thinking about it, or they were forced to come here, dragged by family or spouse. I pray, Father, that you would meet them right in the middle of that and surprise them with your wisdom and your presence. And for the rest of us, God, we're, we're a mess. And we know that you have come along our lives in order to rebuild us into what you intended. And so we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to you, open your word to our understanding, that we might step into the reconstruction that you have planned. We pray all these things in your name, Christ. All God's people said, amen. Amen. All right. So um, you might wonder, where do sermons come from? Like, where, 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 where do you get this stuff? So let me kind of share a little bit about how sermons 
at Cornerstone show up on Sunday morning? Well, basically, you've got from Genesis, the first book of the Bible, to Revelation, and you've got all sorts of different things that God is trying to do. He's trying to do things with individuals, with a person, but he's also trying to do it oftentimes with a people. And he's trying to make this people into a certain kind of people with a certain set of characteristics and a reputation. This is the way my people Israel are, or this is the way my church people should be. And so what we do is we go from Genesis to Revelation, and we are picking things that we need to put into play for us as a church, as individuals, but also what sort of a people is Cornerstone going to be? And so as I was working through the one another passages, because there's lots of one another passages in the New Testament, it becomes an opportunity to go, oh, what are these people supposed to be like when they're in relationship with one another? And so, like I said, you've got some easy things or some encouraging things, some uplifting things like encourage one another and build one another. But then you've got something like confess your sins one to another. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of want to zip by a passage like that, okay? And you might go, well, well Dave, why would you want to? And I, my answer would be, I, I, I don't know you, right? And I know church folk. I've been doing this for a long time. I may not look like church folk, but I know church folk. Let me give you an example of church folk. So I'm up here, and have you seen my shoes? Have you seen these? Those are some sweet houndstooth Chucky Taylors. And, um, and these are the sort of things that go through different people's minds. Um, Dave? Uh, so is the Chuck Taylor thing and the matching sweater component, is that, is, that, is that vanity? Is that ego? Or is it like a really pathetic attempt at a midlife crisis? Because <laughs> you're north of 50. Who wears Chucks north of 50? What? What is all that? And you'll notice I've got a little man bun. I've got a, a twisty mustache. And so, you know, you, you end up having church folk historically look at other people and go, huh, about the way they're dressed or about the movies that they go see or about whether they do this or that or the other thing. And so then the idea of confessing to this church person is, no, 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 no. Never. Now, now why? Well, because we're afraid of a lot of things, that they're not tenderhearted, that they are judgmental, that and the list could go on and on, and we'll talk about some of those things today. But what I want you to do is I want you to think about, first of all, what confession, if you don't do it, means, and what confession is if you do do it. So let me give you an example. If you never confess anything to anybody, then what happens is you say, I'm basically alone in a variety of, we'll call them sins. I'm in complete isolation about my, and let's pick your poison. I'm in complete isolation about my pornography addiction. I'm in complete isolation about how sideways I am with my spouse. I'm in complete isolation about my cutting. I'm in complete isolation about my anxiety disorder. I'm in complete isolation. And the list goes on and on and on. And what happens is you have basically decided that the things that you struggle with, you can take care of. Now, 
some of you that are younger, you probably are still in the place where you're going to go, oh yeah, you know, I, I, I haven't figured it out yet, but I, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to take care of this. But now, those of us that are up a little bit north of 30 or 40 or 50, we know something. I can't do this by myself. I've got 20 or 30 years of trying to overcome whatever it is. And I thought I could just buck up, and I thought I could just be strong, and I thought I could, but me being isolated and alone is not working at all. But then there's confession. Well, what is confession? Well, confession is you open up the door, and you let some people in to help to pray for you, to encourage you, to maybe hold you accountable, to maybe give some of the wisdom about how they got out of this. But there's all kinds of possibilities. Think of it this way. In a boxing ring, basically, if you're boxing, I used to go watch uh, the Golden Gloves. In the boxing ring, you've got four people, by and large, normally in your corner. In your corner is your trainer and your manager, your corner man and your cut man. Now, what do these four people in your corner do? Well, they do a bunch of things. One is they're assessing how well you're fighting. And they're also assessing who you're fighting and how, how that person is fighting. They're assessing your stamina, how, how many punches you've thrown, all sorts of things that you can't keep track of on your own. And so what happens is, is you're going out and you're fighting this battle against your enemy and you pull back to your corner of refuge, these people step in and they talk to you and encourage you and coach you and mentor you, and then you go back out into it with a lot more reserves, with a lot more options, with a lot more strategies, with a lot more, I'm not alone in this. Now, then the question obviously becomes something like this. Which one are you? Are you locked down in isolation, fighting battles by yourself that you're not winning? Or are you somebody who has opened up to other people to come in to encourage and draw you forward to face your battles. Here's the deal with me. With me, I, I, I've been at this Christian thing for a little bit of time now. I'm still profoundly messed up. I don't know how many of you are, have your act together. I do not have my act together. I'm way more mature than I used to be, but I'm not all that I wish that I was. But I, I can tell you this. The transformation that's happened in me, a lot of it has come from my brothers and sisters that have come alongside of me when I opened the door to things I couldn't handle alone. So it says something like this when we're thinking about how in the world is this confession thing going to work? Let's start with Romans 14, 13. It says this, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, like that used to be a thing that, you know, people did, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. <coughs> now, what's going on in the book of Romans is basically Paul is explaining what this community, what this people should be like. 
Previous to becoming Christians, they judged one another. Why? Well, because it's fun, right? I mean, how much judgment do you bring to play every day? Let me tell you how much judgment I bring to play every day. You really, you drive like that? What? Oh, your blinkers don't work? And oh, you're going to play in that football game? You're really going to run that play three times in a row? And my boss is an idiot. And can you believe this person dressed that way? Can you believe that person said that thing? Can you believe that person did that thing on Facebook? And you're watching the news. And I've got plenty of judgment. In fact, it's my gift to the world. The Buffalo Bills would have won 10 Super Bowls in a row if they had just mic'd me up to, 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 and listened to me. Now, what's my point? My point is, where I'm going with this, is there's this previous person, previous to Christianity, that's what they did. They judged everybody. It's a competitive sport. But not anymore. That thing gets shut down. Let us not judge one another anymore. But rather, and here's part of the adjustment. Don't put obstacles and stumbling blocks in a brother's way. What does that mean? Well, it means instead of looking at people, looking particularly at my brothers and sisters in the church, and looking for what they're screwing up at, so I can keep track of all of it, because it's really important that I keep track of it, and I'm doing better than it. Instead of doing that, I'm looking at my brothers and sisters, and I'm trying to figure out ways to help them not be ensnared or trapped by the things that screw them up. So it's Super Bowl Sunday. One of the things that somebody might do is they might throw a Super Bowl party. And if you throw a Super Bowl party, you might have some adult beverages at the Super Bowl party. But the sort of way you think about it maybe is if I invite people over to my Super Bowl party and there are adult beverages, do I know whether any of these people are alcoholics? Do I know whether they've been in Alcoholics Anonymous? Do I, do I need to maybe be careful? Am I thoughtful about putting things in front of people that's going to make them stumble? Exactly. I might have somebody come to me, and, and somebody comes to me, and we're, we're hanging out. And they're talking about, you know, my, my wife is blah, blah, blah. My wife is blah, blah, blah. My wife is blah, 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 blah. And I'm sitting there listening to this. And then, oh, what am I going to do? I, I could always do this. I could go, oh, yeah, your wife is blah, blah, blah. Well, my wife is blah, 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 blah. And the two of us, our little fellowship becomes around, what, basically trying to destroy each other's marriages, right? Or I'm careful what I say in terms of judgment. And I'm careful about the things that I say about other people because I don't want to put that as a stumbling block in front of someone else. Therefore, let us not judge one another, but rather determine this. We're not putting things in front of people that are going to screw other people up. So we're letting go of one thing and we're embracing something else. Even more than that, going deeper into this idea of what sort of an atmosphere, what sort of a people do we need to be in order for confession to actually ha happen, one of the first things is, I'm not going to confess to somebody that's judgmental, right? I mean, if you are talking to somebody 
and they're constantly talking about other people and their opinion of how they're a screw-up, ding, 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 when I say something to this person, they're going to A and B. A, judge me, and B, tell somebody else. James 4.11 says this, Therefore, do not speak against one another, brethren, For he who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. Now, there's a lot going on there. Part of what's going on there is there's this person that's speaking about another brother or sister. Now, they're not speaking to them. They're speaking to someone else. They're speaking to some third party about this person. And it says that when this happens, this brother who's judging his other brother, he's speaking again against the law. Now, what law is he talking about? He's not talking about the Old Testament law because it says at the end that we're to be doers of the law. He's talking about the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? The law of Christ is you're to love the Lord your God with your whole heart, soul, strength, and you're to love your neighbor like yourself. And you're supposed to be looking at the sort of commandments and ideas that Jesus has put in put forward, you're supposed to be comparing those to yourself, making adjustments, and moving through your life. But, but who wants to do that? Instead, what I want to do is keep track of what other people are doing wrong, talk to somebody else about it, because I don't think that the law is getting the job done. It really needs a vigilante, and I am that vigilante. I'm the Batman. I'm the daredevil of Christianity, and I'm going to go around, and I'm going to keep track of everybody's sins and tell other people about it because that accomplishes nothing, right? Think about that. Think about how bizarre that is. Keeping track of other people's stuff then telling other people about it, and it accomplishes nothing. Actually, it does accomplish something. What it does is it completely sabotages confession. It completely sabotages our reputation. It sabotages our character. It sabotages our relationships. It chews up all sorts of time. And that's what a lot of church folk settle for. And so when we're looking out at the future of Perry County, And we're thinking about the future of our church and people coming in and, you know, meth addict or cooking meth or stripper or prostitute or pick materialist, you pick pick your poison. Are they going to be able to come into some place safe where they can say, this is what's going on in me. I'm trying to find Christ. I want Christ to come in and change and transform my life. Or are they going to come in and be terrified that we're going to judge them? and talk about them, and speculate about them, and the list goes on and on. So it says this in James 5.16, we finally get to it. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Now, what's going on with this? Well, it's saying that we're supposed to do this confession thing to one another, And that when that happens, there's this person that's going to receive this confession. Notice what they are. They are righteous. And we could list a bunch of things about being righteous. It basically means they're like Jesus. 
And somehow when you confess, when you open the door and you let this righteous person into your mess, their prayers are a part of your healing process. Now, again, there's a fork in the road here. There's two big things that I want you to think about. One is where you feel trapped, that nobody knows what's going on, and you've been pummeled into submission. There's a way out. And the way out is through one another. But that person needs to obviously be be mature. They need to be righteous. They need to be ready to receive that sort of confession, which brings me to the other fork in the road. Are you that person? Because maybe there's that meth addict, and they're not going to confess to anybody but you. Or maybe it's the girl in high school who's cutting herself. She's not going to confess to me. She's going to confess to you if you are that righteous person, if you are that non-judgmental person, if you are that accepting, tender-hearted, etc., if you're that Jesus-like person. Because you being that Jesus-like person is the catalyst for their transformation, their entire world being different. But also you stepping into letting a righteous person into your life to pray for you, you being confessional, ratting yourself out, that's the critical piece sometimes for you getting out of the place that you're trapped. So when I read something like confess your sins to one another and I pass by it and I go, this is a waste of time, this is stupid and I don't want to preach on this, all of a sudden God pulls me back and goes, if you don't preach on this, don't you understand all those things that are going to be sabotaged? There are incredible things that God wants to do in your life through other people. There are incredible things that God wants to do in the lives of others through you. My daughter Madison when she was 15 years old, came to us and said she was pregnant. However you get pregnant, I don't know. But she came to us and she said, I'm pregnant, Dad. Now here's the trick question. Why didn't she just go get an abortion? Why didn't she just disappear? Why didn't she just run away? Why didn't she go off with this guy and get sold into human trafficking? Why didn't all sorts of other things happen? The reason why she came and confessed was she knew we wouldn't throw rocks at her. We wouldn't kick her out on the street. That We would embrace her and we would love her. There's never a thought in her mind that we're going to like wink at her sin. We were going to say, holy moly, you're a 15-year-old girl and you've got a big big challenge in front of you. We want to step in and pray for you and help you and come alongside you and everything we can do to help you move forward. I know that some families, that's not the case. You'd never tell your mom and dad because you know exactly what you're going to get. Now the question becomes for us as a people, for us as a church, What's our reputation going to be? The people in Perry County, the people that visit this service, the people that start to explore and take a risk going to a connect group, are they going to find that we are the sort of people that you can confess to? Or are we the sort of people that you should hide from because we're scary? It says this in Ephesians 4.32. It says... 
Be kind to one another. To be tender-hearted. To forgive one another. Just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. So let's look at the opposite of this for just a second. Let's be cruel to one another. Let's be hard-hearted to one another. Let's keep track of the sins of one another. Because to be honest with you, that's the way religion looks sometimes. These are cruel, judgmental people that are hard-hearted about your screw-ups. And they're tracking everything that you did wrong, proving the point that you shouldn't be here and you don't deserve God's love. But the opposite is going on in this verse. Be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving. Just as God in Christ Jesus has also forgiven you. Now, how did he forgive you? Let's talk about how he forgave me. So he forgave me when I I got my act together. That's that's when he forgave me. I got got a shave and I, I got a tuxedo and I tried to not do anything wrong for a week and I showed up at church and said, God, I'm... I'm, I'm good now. I, will you embrace me? No, that's not the way this works. What, the way this works is he accepts us and embraces us knowing three things. You were a train wreck. You are a train wreck. You're always going to be a train wreck. You're my dumpster fire that I love. That's what you are. Now, I want to transform you with my love and my tenderheartedness and everything else. But there's no getting your act together. And the same idea is just as God in Christ has also forgiven you, we're supposed to be so transformed by that reality with him that it spills over into how we engage with one another. That we're tender-hearted with one another. We're forgiving of one another seven times 70. That we are gracious, compassionate, long-suffering, and the list goes on and on. We're the sort of people that if Jesus is the guy that doesn't throw rocks at people that are sinners and, and says, I'm, I, I'm not here to judge you. And he, if he's that way, are we that way? Because if we are that way, just think about it. I had a broken home. And I can't, I can't tell you how many things were screwed up in my home, but there were plenty of things screwed up in my home. And I was suicidal, and you know, back in the day, you didn't tell anybody you were suicidal. You didn't tell your buddies you were suicidal. You just locked all that stuff down. So I'm just, I'm just locked down, and my family kind of sucks. And I'm considering this idea of the whole God thing. And so I'm showing up at church, and here's part of what's going on. What's part of going on is, look, I've read a little of this Jesus stuff. I think it's cool. I just need to know if it's real. And guess who the test tube of reality is? Us. Now, yeah, we're screw-ups. That's not my, my, my point is not trying to scare you guys into perfection. My point is to say, this is the journey we have to be on. If we're going to be like Jesus, if we're going to have the impact that Jesus wants us to have on one another's lives, if we're going to have the sort of impact that Jesus wants us to have in this community, then we have to step into deeper and deeper levels of compassion, tenderheartedness, not being judgmental. It says this in Colossians 3, 13. 
bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. This idea of bearing with somebody who's just really annoying. Does anybody know anybody that's really annoying? I mean, really annoying. And their annoyingness, it ain't going anywhere. It's stuck like glue. Matter of fact, I think their annoyingness is in their DNA genetic tissue. And you're like, well, God, you know, I, I'll bear with them, but, you know, you're going to transform them, right? I mean, because I, 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 you know, I'm going to bear with them as much as I can. And Jesus looks down and says, hey, just remember something. I'm bearing with you. <laughs> and some things have transformed, and you're a little more cute and cuddly than you used to be. But you're still a puppy in the mud most of the time. And so the mud thing... And that's what you have to remember. Oh, I'm in this for the long haul with my brothers and sisters. I'm not just bearing and offering forgiveness as like a a one-shot deal. It's this over and over perpetual layering. And the best way that that happens is the more time we spend before God loving him and embracing him and thanking him and confessing to him and receiving his grace and his compassion, the more we're in that cycle, then it spills and splatters itself every place else. But as soon as we fall off of that and get into our little religion mode where we're keeping track of the sins of others and we start to think that we're a little, we can can be a little self-righteous. I mean, I've got my act together a little bit. Disaster everywhere. Forgiving each other. How often? Well, Peter asked that question and the answer is seven times 70, which means a whole bunch. Do you have complaints against other people? Yeah. Are some of them justified? Absolutely. And what do we do? We forgive. How do we forgive? We forgive like Jesus forgave. How did Jesus forgive? He forgave seven times 70. He forgave permanently. He forgave, and he's constantly giving people a brand new sheet of paper. Does everybody in this room want a brand new sheet of paper with Jesus every day? The answer is yes. The question isn't that. The question is, are you willing to give a blank sheet of paper to other people every day? And you say, well, I can't do that. Of course you can't do that. I can't do that. We ask for help. We mature in that. We get better at that. I got really good at being judgmental. I got really good at being unforgiving. I got really good at keeping track of the sins of other people. And I could find them all the time. Just like I got really good at that, I can get really not good at that. And I can really get good at something else. I can get really good at compassion. I can get really good at kindness. I can get really good at tenderheartedness, at turning the other cheek, at letting go. All of us can be a victim. It's not rocket science. You can find things to be offended by and to pick up constantly. You could also be something else. You can be something, someone that absorbs all of the dark negative energy out there, lifts it up to, to Christ, and then shines forth light and hope to others. It says this in Romans 15, 7. Therefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. What's going on here? Well, there's a couple things going on here. One is this idea of accepting one another just the way we are. We talked about not cleaning things up. But also that when Jesus does this accepting thing, that somehow it, it magnifies, it makes brighter or more distinguished 
the glory of God. Somehow it has this effect on God where like, this is the way I want things to be. But more than that, not just when Jesus does this acceptance thing, but we bring glory to God when we act like Jesus and how we accept others. And the way we accept others is not because they've submitted a really cool resume and they have their act together. We, we accept one another unconditionally. So just, again, imagine at the end here what this confess could be. This confess to one another if we become the sort of people that are righteous and could pray for other people and bring about healing. Wouldn't it be amazing if people confessed their sins to us? And we could help them feel like they're not alone in the war that they're going through. It could be the very thing that changes, whether that marriage goes down in flames or not, whether that person commits suicide or not, whether that person gets out of addiction or not. All of those realities, all those possibilities are in play right here, right now, depending on the sort of people that we become. The other thing that's in play is those places in your life where you've hidden yourself and you're losing in the boxing ring. Over and over again, God has basically said, I've got a way for you to receive my healing and my victory. You're going to have to let some people in. You're going to have to confess. And what have we done as a church to provide a network, a possibility for this? It's where the connect groups come into play. You break into smaller groups, you get to know the character of these people, and you get to the place where you can talk about some of these things. It takes longer for some people than other people. But that's the point of something like this. We have to break down this crowd into smaller components to do some of the deep, fantastic things in the Christian life. So in conclusion, I'd say this. One, let go of judgment. It's a fun sport. I dig it. I understand. Um, I, it just accomplishes nothing. It, ju- it destroys a lot. Uh, it seems sort of holy, keeping track of, you know, other people's sins, but really it's quite the opposite. It's satanic. He's the accuser of the brethren. That's his job, not our job. Let that go. Secondly, find somebody that's mature enough and righteous enough to confess to. Don't be alone anymore in the dark places in your life. Third, become worthy of confession. Become that sort of person that people would want to talk to. You know, when I meet people, I, I, I meet all kinds of people. When I meet people that are really accusatory towards lots of people, and then they, they talk about a lot of other people, I just go, okay, mental note, never talk to them about something that matters. The flip side is, when I meet somebody that keeps confidences and tries to be very careful about what they say about people that aren't in the room and really doesn't spend a whole lot of their time shooting and trying to figure out what everybody else has done wrong, all of a sudden I start to go, maybe that's a safe person. Maybe that's a Jesus-like person that I can let into a deeper place in my life. Let me pray for the sort of person that we all want to become and the sort of people that we must become. Father God, We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for what he has meant in all of our lives. Father, would you help us to become more like him? Would you help us to be a safe person for others to come to with the battles that they're fighting alone in the darkness? Help us be a people that can pray for them and be a part of how you heal them. And secondly, Father, 
would you give us courage? Some of us need to join a connect group. Some of us need to, to find that person where we open up the door to that dark place in our life where we've been losing for a long time and we need help. Would you give us courage to take that next step towards being the family of faith that you desire for us to be? And all God's people said...